0: Welcome to my Japanese green tea podcast, the green tea show with a Japanese twist. And now your host, Ricardo Caicedo. Hi everyone, welcome to the ninth episode of this podcast. And with me today is Eric Gower, mm-hmm. and he's the founder of Breakaway Match. Hello Eric, and thank you for joining the show.
1: Oh, thank you Ricardo, it's great to be here.
0: So I understand that, that you're a chef.
1: I, well, it depends what you mean by chef. And usually that means uh, working in a restaurant, you know, either your own restaurant or working for someone else. And I, I don't work in a restaurant, but um, I do write a, quite a bit about food. And, and I, uh, I'm a private chef. I, I do a lot of private um, cooking for people. And I also write cookbooks. I've written uh, four cookbooks. Could you tell me uh, the titles? Yeah, um, the first cookbook I wrote was actually when it was written in Japanese um, when I was living in Japan. Uh, it was called Eric's Kitchen um, or Eric no Daitokoro. It's called, um, and it was just kind of my effort of, of of using Japanese ingredients in in somewhat unusual ways. And uh, it was uh, it was a fun book to write, and um, it caused a little bit of a stir in Japan because. Um, as you know, in Japan, there's, there's kind of a canonical way to do, to do everything, you know, and, and there's sort of a right way and a wrong way. But I, I didn't care too much about that, I guess, and, and um, just cooked food that tasted delicious to me and, uh, and wrote a book about it and, you know, it did pretty well. And then um, the first book I wrote in English was called The Breakaway Japanese Kitchen, and uh, that was published by Kodanshi International, and that, that got a wonderful reception in the United States. I was very happy with that. And then uh, I followed that up with another book called The Breakaway Cook. Um, and then my latest book, which is coming out this fall, is called The Breakaway Vegetarian Cook. And it's, um, it's a study of, of how to get more umami into vegetarian cooking.
0: Oh, very interesting. Yeah. And are they all available in English or just the last? Well,
1: piece? The, the 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 three, yeah. Actually, um, the Breakaway Cook is still available. Uh, you can find that on Amazon or any online bookstore. Um, uh, the Breakaway Japanese Kitchen it went out of print. Unfortunately, the publisher, the Japanese publisher Kodanshi International, um, they went out of business several years ago, and the and the title you know died when it went out of business. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about reissuing the book sometime soon, but. I have to add that to the large pile of projects that uh, <laughs> that I'm working on simultaneously.
0: The other ones, they're available on, on Amazon?
1: Yeah, well, the, the new book, the vegetarian book, is not, not quite available yet. It's not quite done, um, but we're getting there, and uh, it's it's going to be done. I'm hoping it's going to be available by the end of October. Okay. Yeah.
0: Why did you decide to, to live in Japan?
1: Uh, well, I studied Japanese in, in college, and... Um, I had a kind of interesting encounter with a, a, an older Japanese man when I was about 19 years old. I was, I was um, doing some backpacking around a, a local mountain east of Los Angeles called Mount Baldy, and, and I, I, I found uh, this series of, of buildings like in the middle of nowhere, and it was very curious. And I went in, I went inside just to look at what was there, and, and uh, there were all these guys in black robes and shaved heads, and they, it was actually a working Zen. <laughs> zen buddhist monastery and they were studying all these guys were studying with uh with a japanese man named uh sasaki sasaki roshi uh teacher sasaki he's this old kind of grizzled japanese zen master who didn't speak a lot of english and uh i was pretty motivated to talk to this guy and so i I started studying japanese on my own um but then i i formally entered uh, in college up in berkeley and um and continued studying japanese i wound up majoring in uh, in modern Japanese literature and so you know with a degree like that what do you do there's not much to do with a degree like that so I I wound up going to Japan I thought I would go for like a year kind of have an adventure get my Japanese down a little bit better and see what happened but I really didn't imagine staying as long as I did I wound up staying uh,
0: 16 years wow that's a, a long time it
1: is a long time
0: and, and it was there in Japan that, that you began with your interest in cooking
1: uh, well, actually, before that, really, I, I, I cooked a lot in, in college. Um, even when I was a teenager, I, I cooked a lot. Even even when I was a small child, I, I liked cooking. But um, but yeah, I guess the, the cooking got a, uh, quite a bit more serious when I was when I was in Japan. I had quite a bit of time, and I had uh, a, a wonderful vegetable and herb garden that I would I would tend and uh, take care of. Um, so it was it was it was lovely to be able to be. To be cooking from you know food that i had produced myself and i would go to japanese uh, supermarkets and um, basically buy everything in sight uh, and just make these really simple combinations of japanese ingredients things like miso and uh and you know dried shiitake and oh shiso leaves and all kinds of tofu and uh you know umeboshi and all the all the classic japanese ingredients and lots of yuzu and I would make very simple, simple dinners with my vegetables that I was growing with with this stuff, and um, all very simple, you know. And and that's what that first book was about was these very simple
0: combinations of really just vegetables and uh, and Japanese ingredients. Oh, so, sounds delicious. Yeah, it's good. So you your first book was was wasn't traditional Japanese cooking. It was just the way you
1: yeah. You did it yourself. Yeah, exactly. My interpretation of it, and I, eventually I called this style of cooking. I called it breakaway cooking, uh, meaning y- y- you break away from a certain tradition. Um, when I moved back to California from Japan, uh, I, I was suddenly surrounded by a lot of other um, interesting markets. Like there's a there's a big Indian population here. There's a lot of Indian markets. Um, Middle Eastern markets, Southeast Asian markets um, and so I was using kind of the same principles that I was doing in Japan basically to take a cuisine that is somewhat inaccessible um, or daunting to many home cooks. You know, It's not so easy for most home cooks to make a, you know, a Vietnamese meal or a Moroccan meal or an Indian meal. You know these are very complex old cuisines and they, they typically require a lot of labor um typically performed by a lot of women in the kitchen you know there's a grandma and an auntie and the mother and the daughters and they're all in there doing quite labor-intensive food i don't i don't know if it's like that in colombia or not but um yeah some dishes are like yeah that. yeah some dishes are like that and uh you know nobody in the modern age has time to cook like that really everybody's working, we have responsibilities. Um, and so I, I'm trying to simplify those cuisines by taking the essence of them really, um, the main kind of ingredients that are used in that cooking and, uh, and making very simple combinations with, with lots of, of, of wonderful vegetables that we have here in Northern California. So that, that book, um, that was called The Breakaway Cook and that explored uh, a lot of different cuisines using this kind of philosophy.
0: How did did your interest in matcha start?
1: Well, it started in Japan, really. Um, uh, it, uh, I once I first had a, a beautiful bowl of matcha in, a, in an old Zen temple in in Kyoto, and um, I don't know if you know this, but 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 Zen and matcha are are very closely related. Uh, they, they were both introduced to japan in the late 12th century by a monk named Eisai, who had um, gone to china on a kind of just a mission a lot of monks used to travel to china in those days um, to learn and um, because china was the center of center of the world for a lot of learning and so that guy came back to japan and he said wow they're drinking this amazing tea called matcha and they're doing this meditation called zen zazen and uh it, one thing led to another, and um, it, it really gained in popularity. And um, you know, in those days, matcha was a very simple thing. Like you'd you'd sit in an extremely modest, small, you know, two tatami room hut, and you would prepare this very simple, almost crude, really tea. And the monks found that um, if you drank this tea, uh, you could stay awake a lot better during meditation. <laughs> so they, it became kind of popular, and. Uh, and, and, and then as, as the centuries unfolded, a, a lot of Japanese um, kind of the upper classes and the aristocracy in Japan, in those days, they used to take a lot of their, their cues, their social cues from, from Zen Buddhists. Um, Zen Buddhists were, were pretty cool in those days. They, they set a lot of trends. Sure and uh uh suddenly it was very popular for the educated classes the aristocracy in japan to start drinking matcha um but as as the time went on the decades and the centuries went on the the rules and the the choreography regarding the preparation of matcha became more and more elaborate and that's how the 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 tea ceremony was was born and that's how it was uh uh, that's how it developed. So it, it, they really wanted to kind of prove that they were sophisticated people by having these elaborate ceremonies that took a lot of time to study and took a lot of time to get right. And, um, you know, it's not unusual then, and it's not unusual now for people to study chi for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, um, getting all the moves right. I mean, the, the, the choreography of a full full matcha full-blown matcha ceremony is uh it's it's very elaborate it unfolds over a few hours and uh there's a lot to learn if you want to do it the quote-unquote right way you know so um yeah it's got a long beautiful very important history and um uh but i i really liked the when i had that matcha the first time at that zen temple in Kyoto. i really i really loved it I, i thought it was amazing um I wasn't so crazy about the ceremony itself i found it i found it beautiful and uh and poignant but um it, it, i like the tea better than the ceremony and so i, I was very interested in the tea and I, I wanted to make the tea at home so i started uh drinking matcha at home and learning how to prepare it and and uh you know I, there's a certain beauty to the to a small degree of ceremony um i think a, i think a ritual is a great thing that's missing in a lot of modern cultures but um Yeah, I I was really more into the Epicurean properties of the tea and also the health properties of the tea more than the ceremonial properties of the tea. So um, I began drinking a lot of matcha. I really like how I felt after I had a cup. Um, I I find it beautiful. It's this bright, bright green. Uh, I know it's good for you. Uh, I, I found that I could concentrate on work a lot better. After a cup of matcha, and I just you know started drinking it regularly, um, and I eventually I started talking to farmers and producers, um, going right to the source. And, but when I moved back to California, I found that I, I, I really missed matcha. I couldn't I couldn't find any good matcha. So at that point, I went back to Japan and I, I visited some more growers and I, I talked to some people about actually importing it into the United States and um, making custom blends for me that I that I thought um, were were delicious. And, uh, yeah, originally I just started doing it for myself just so that I could drink it. But um, because I am a a chef and I'm in the food world here in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, I I would make matcha for some of my chef friends. And they really loved it because they had never had anything like it. And so they asked me, you know, where can I buy this? And so
0: a business was born. So basically what happened was you applied the same breakaway principle for matcha,
1: <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right yes it's the exact same breakaway principle so that that's why i call it breakaway mantra but but you know it's um it's not for everybody you know like a lot of people are really into the ceremony and they don't like the breakaway way to do it but but you know thousands and you know hundreds of thousands of people don't feel that way there's enough of a, of a marketplace yeah. um for people who don't feel that way. And, and you know, it's, it, I I really want to make matcha great matcha accessible to people. You shouldn't, in my opinion, have to go through, you know, a big ceremony and make a big deal out of having a cup of tea. It's just a cup of tea. And why not simplify the process a little bit? And, uh, And make it more of a daily practice, which, ironically, was exactly how the early Zen monks thought of it. I mean, they didn't do any of this other stuff either. They just made tea, you know. So, in some sense, I think I've come full circle to Mach's origins.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of, of simplicity in Zen.
1: Yes, it's really all about simplicity. It's all about taking away things, not adding to them.
0: So, so you you're a Zen practitioner? A little bit,
1: yeah. I mean, I've been sitting zazen since uh, I was 19 years old. So, I mean, it, I've gone through periods where I haven't sat at all for years, but um, uh, I, I always come back to it, and I always uh, it's always kind of like coming home when I do it. You know, it's um, in, in recent years I've been doing a lot of yoga, and so it's it's very similar to yoga in some sense. I mean, yoga is really just zazen except you're putting your body in strange positions while you do the zazen (laughs) so it, it feels good to uh to stretch the body and to um and to try to still the mind as you do these 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 postures in yoga so i find that yoga is a little bit better for me uh than just sitting meditation oh i see yeah
0: and about the the breakaway matcha is it a, a physical store too, or it's no, it's just
1: online? It's, it's online only. I mean, I do have a warehouse here, uh, a, an office where we where I run the business here in Marin County, which is just north of San Francisco, just over the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, but uh, no, I don't have any plans to open up any retail stores. I, I you know, it's it's it's. A, it's a difficult, expensive thing to do. Um, yeah. It's it's not clear that it would do well because it's such a specialized product. Um, but anybody who's in the area and wants to come by and taste it is certainly welcome to do that. So do you make, like, um, tea tastings? or? I do sometimes, yeah. I, I, sometimes I'll visit uh, companies, um, you know, law offices or, or doctor's offices or anything like that, and have little little tea tastings with them. I, I sometimes have public tea tasting.
0: What, why Why did you decide to only make it about much your, your own in-store?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, most tea companies, you know, try to be all things to all people. They, they typically offer green teas, black teas, oolong teas, uh, herbal teas, um, all kinds of teas. And, um... I don't know. I, I feel like that um, customers are much better served by by specialists. Like for example, if I'm going to buy a oolong tea, I would much rather buy it from a guy who who does nothing but oolong tea. I mean, the, uh, there's this one guy in San Francisco that does it, and I, I just I love his teas. He's so passionate about it. He knows more than anybody about it. Um, you know, it's much better to buy from a guy like him than it is just some big tea company. Um, and it's the same thing with matcha. I mean, uh, it, I, I'm, I'm happy to offer a, uh, a very specialized product. And again, it's not for everybody, but uh, it's for enough people that um, it's, it's certainly a viable a viable business. And so um, okay. I decided to make a kind of hyper-specialized tea business.
0: I see. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take a look at, the, at, the, at your products. Okay. Your website. And uh, for any listeners, the address is www.breakawaymatcha.com So I'm going here into the shop section, and I see that, that there are blends. C- could you tell me more about, like, how does that work, the, the blending process? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's another good question. Um,
0: matcha is, uh,
1: it's in many ways a lot like wine, but in some ways it's not like wine. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you how it's like wine first. Um, exactly as grapes are grown, um, there, there's something called terroir, And terroir means in French, something like an expression of the land. And, uh, there are certain places in France that, that, you know, the, the, the land is very different from other places in France. And they're very, um, conducive to growing wonderful grapes that produce wonderful wines. And, terroir, uh, can mean, you know, the soil composition. It can mean the elevation. It can mean, uh, how much, how much rainfall it gets. It, it has many, many things. Um, and, and tea is really exactly the same. There are certain parts of Japan that, uh, that have really excellent terroirs for growing really, really high grade matcha. Um, uh experience of the grower counts experience of the pickers uh but 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 the blending process this is where it it differs a little bit from from wine um matcha is best when you combine older vintages if you will like it, it a matcha is is harvested uh, the best matcha is only harvested once a year it's usually in may but if you if you just take the newest leaves that are harvested and you make matcha out of it, it's it's an interesting experience. It's a very, very fresh, grassy matcha. But to add a lot of complexity to matcha, you really want to blend it with with previous harvests from previous years. And uh, uh, the the best and most talented blenders um, know exactly, how much of which year to to put into the current blend, and that will include, of course, the the current harvest of you know, the current year, and uh, and other years. And so, um, uh, the, the the blends that I have, uh, we kept playing with. I mean, there were a series of experiments of what tasted best. Uh, for example, the blend one hundred that comes from a place called Nishio. Um, it's it's high up in the mountains. It's outside of, of Nagoya in the Aichi prefecture area. Um, and uh, it's just this wonderful little place to grow incredibly high quality tea. Um, that is blended to my specifications. It took about a year to get this blend right. I, really, the blends are after um, four or five different characteristics. I mean, I'm always trying to find four or five traits, characteristics of, of matcha that, that I feel make a great matcha. And those are, um, the primary one is color. Uh, it should be bright, 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 bright green. I mean, so bright green that it almost looks fake. Uh, it's it's this electric, almost hallucinogenic green that uh, it, it, it it almost looks unnatural. That's the mark of a really good matcha. If it's really, really bright green. If it's if it's slightly yellowed or uh, it's um, it, almost like an army green, you know, a green with some yellow in it. That that's usually the mark of a not very good matcha or a matcha that hasn't been properly stored. Um, you know, matcha is a very sensitive thing. It doesn't like light, it doesn't like heat, it doesn't like air. And if you uh, if you if you expose matcha to any of those things, it begins to degrade rather rapidly. And the first sign of degradation is the, is the color. So color is really, really important. Um, the next one is um, umami. I, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with uh, the word umami, but um, it, it means in Japanese uh, something like um, savoriness or deliciousness. I like to think of it as kind of like a brothy um, characteristic, almost like miso in a way. Uh, and so so it, it should be really, really full of umami. Um, it should also have a decent acid structure. That That's very similar to wine. It has this kind of acid structure that makes the whole thing balanced. Because if it had too much umami, it's almost too sweet. So there's a little bit of acid structure to balance the, the acid and the sweet. And, um, and uh, also it should have a very long finish. This, again, like wine, a great wine will continue to uh, uh be, you'll continue to taste the wine, you know, 10, 20, even 30 seconds after you swallow it. I mean, that's, that's the mark of a really great matcha. Like after you've swallowed a sip, you can still feel it. You can still taste it in your mouth for a long time afterward. That's, that's the finish. So you has to have a long, long, long finish. Um, and it also the last characteristic is uh, is frothability. It, it when you when you whip it up it should it should turn very very frothy uh it should have these tiny tiny micro bubbles not large bubbles but these really really small ones that look a lot like espresso i mean if you've got a if you've got a matcha that looks sort of like an espresso except it's bright green then you've got a very good matcha so those are those are the those are the um the characteristics that go into blending, and, and I'm always after those five. And so I work with I work with growers and producers to to maximize those five traits.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, the, does the number in in your blends? Does it mean something or Not is just really. it just arbitrary?
1: You know, I, I, I thought a lot about the naming of the matcha, the naming of the blends. And I even hired a, a, a professional naming company. And they they, uh, they came up with a, a few hundred names for me, possible names. But I didn't really like any of them. I, I felt that they were slightly orientalistic or orientalist. Um, they, they were names like, you know green sapphire and you know jade bliss and this kind of stuff (laughs) and I, i don't know it didn't didn't quite do it for me so i thought why not keep it simple we'll just we'll just attach numbers to them
0: and what what makes one more more expensive than the other one um a couple of things um the main thing is rarity
1: like how much of this stuff there are there is i mean like the blend 100 there's just very little of it um, you know, I only have a probably, you know, uh, go through maybe 10 kilograms a year or something like that. It's nothing. Um, and so there's, it's, it's very, very, very hard to find matcha at this quality because there isn't very much of it and it takes a really, really long time to do. Um, it requires the expertise of, uh, of, of some, some, some true connoisseurs who've been doing it for a long time. Um, all of my growers have been in business for, Oh, most of them for at least twenty generations. I mean, that's that's amazing. That the same same family has been working the same land for uh, you know 500 years, about twenty generations, and uh, you know this is not something that can be mass produced. Um, the typical age of the trees, the tea trees themselves, is is more than 50 years. So it's that itself tells you that you know it's 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 almost impossible really to be a startup. Matcha company. I mean you can and people do they do it in China. They do it in Taiwan, but uh, uh, You know it, it, it trees that are less than 50 years old tend to produce um, Not very good matcha. It's, it tends to be bitter and, and a lot of the matcha that's that's on the market actually in the marketplace um, Is this type of matcha? It's 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 really what I call culinary matcha um, It's it's not new growth um, mo- all the matcha that I that I source and sell is, uh, is only new growth, meaning, you know, in the, in the, in the wintertime, when, when new growth comes out of, of the trees, um, you know, cause it's a, it's a living plant and it's growing new, new branches and, and, and new leaves, new foliage, um, only that is used for, for great matcha, but for other matcha, if they're just going after quantity, I mean, if you need, you know, if you need a couple hundred kilograms of matcha because you're making green tea ice cream for, you know, one of the big ice cream producers like hagendaz they have a they have a big uh, matcha ice cream that they, they do then you you're really after quantity more than than quality and so um it's possible to use matcha that's that's very young and um uh, or, or trees that are very young and you can use the leaves that have been on the on the on the plant you can use any of the leaves they don't have to be new growth so um yeah. Culinary matcha is kind of a different universe than, than these, these, these hyper premium sipping blend matchas that I have. Um, because if you add, you know, if you're cooking with matcha and you add fat and sugar to it, um, then it, it really masks that fat and sugar really masks the true taste of the matcha. You can't really taste a lot of these fine notes that we're talking about, you know, talking about wine tasting and long finishes and acid structures and umami and all of these things all of that kind of goes away when when you add milk and sugar to tea it it uh it you know you can use a fairly low quality matcha and if you add enough milk and sugar to it it still tastes pretty good you know but if you just drink it on its own it tastes terrible so so there's a big distinction between these these hyper premium sipping matchas and culinary matcha
0: yeah, that that's like, like making a, a cocktail with a really expensive, I don't know, wine. Yeah, it's like making sangria.
1: So with. You'd you know, rather almost, use a cheap wine. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> I mean,
1: you really wouldn't want to take a bottle of, uh, you know, a Romanic Conti, you know, a $600 bottle of wine um, and pour it into, you know, a bunch of oranges and, uh, and and soda water and ice, you know. It's not the best use of that wine. You could do it. It'd be a very good sangria. But it's probably not. The best use of that wine. Exactly the same thing with matcha.
0: Okay, and I also see that, that, that you also sell ceramics. Yes, um, I do. I, I designed
1: these ceramics and uh, and and the made uh, we designed them specifically for for matcha, made in kind of this breakaway style. Traditionally, the uh, in the tea ceremony, um, matcha is 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 taken from these these shallow rather large heavy bowls and you know again that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful way to drink it um, but you're using a, a handheld bamboo whisk in that case and you need that shape of the wide shallow bowl in order to actually whisk the matcha um, but with my style I, I really like these these small little electric um, milk frothing wands mm-hmm. They make a beautiful crema with the matcha, and but if you try it, if you try to turn on that little device in a in a traditional Japanese bowl making matcha, uh, it, it doesn't work because the, the, this little thing has a powerful motor, and the centrifugal force it creates by mixing the matcha will uh, you know make a big mess. It will it will <laughs> jump right out of the bowl. So I, I had to design some ceramics that would contain the strength of this of this of this mixing frothing wand thing. And so I, I I made them in that shape, and and also I like to I like to make it in one vessel and then pour it into another. I like to pour it into into small little cups. I think it's more enjoyable to drink um, from smaller cups rather than really big heavy shallow bowls. And I think it's it's um it's more accessible that way. Like uh, it's such an unusual experience to drink matcha from in the traditional way from these big heavy bowls. And it's not so unusual to drink it from a small, beautiful cup. So people are more open to drinking matcha in this way, I, I find.
0: Yeah, I, I had that experience. I, I used a matcha bowl yeah. and the milk frother and it, made it a was mess. great. <laughs> yeah, I made a mess all over the kitchen. <laughs> you have a green shirt. <laughs> so... the. The cups are, are made in the U.S.? Yes, they are. They're made in California, uh, not far
1: from, from where we, we are here in Marin County. It's uh, just a couple of towns over. Uh, they're made by a, a ceramicist named Alita Sule. And I love her work. She's a she's a brilliant woman. And uh, I, I approached her with this project and she was very happy to cooperate. And, uh, you know, they're all done by hand. And, and I must say they're quite beautiful.
0: Yeah, they, they look really nice. Yeah. So the idea is to use the creamer to froth and then serve into a cup. Exactly. Yeah. So you you, you mix it up in the little creamer and
1: uh, and you swirl it around. Oh, and by the way, and yeah, and then you pour it in the cup. But um, the act of swirling, this is something that I've discovered over the years. But in in traditional teas, you uh, you you just put some matcha in the in the big bowl. You add a little bit of water and you take that handheld bamboo whisk and you make you know a decent froth out of it and then you you serve it. You drink it. But I find that um, if you actually swirl the matcha in the way that you swirl wine in a wine glass, it releases so many wonderful aromas and it actually keeps the crema. It actually builds the crema in a way that I find very attractive. So, um, that's another reason why I don't, I don't prefer to serve matcha in the traditional way because you can't swirl it. You can't really swirl the matcha in that big bowl. Again, you'll make a big mess. You know, so it's very—it's too delicate, basically, in the in the big in the big bowls. But if you have it in a in a creamer like that, you can you can swirl it rather hard in the same way that you swirl a glass of wine. Exactly the, the same motion you use. So you swirl it, swirl it, swirl it, and then you pour it into the cup, and it just it turns out really, really beautiful this way.
0: And do you drink matcha every day? I do. I typically have uh, two or three. Three cups a day well about um, the frothing yeah. if you use a, a taller glass yeah it would remain with foam for a longer time right exactly exactly it's like like with champagne exactly exactly like champagne if the bubbles yeah um besides the what, what other tools are, are you selling uh the other
1: tools are are traditional um it, you need a little sieve a little sifter um and the reason you you need that is that uh, matcha is so finely ground that static electricity in the air tends to um make the matcha clump up Uh, and so if you put the matcha through a sieve then it it dissipates the static electricity and it makes the blending process a lot easier so when you try to make crema after it's been sieved with matcha that's been sieved it's it's much easier than crema that hasn't been sieved i mean uh, matcha that hasn't been sieved so most people they don't know that you have to or that you should run it through a little sieve first they'll just take a scoop and put it in the bottom of a bowl and try to make it but it's it's really hard to get all of the clumps out if you do it that way so um it's it's important to to take the extra you know 10 15 seconds that it takes to to do that and and that adds a little bit of ritual to it you know i mean i'm, I'm not completely against the ritual um yeah. it's it's nice to have a tiny little ritual when you're making your tea you know i try to try to quiet the mind a little bit and be mindful of the tea and, uh, you know, while I'm waiting for the water to boil, I'll just take out my sieve and and take out a, a, a little scoop, a little bamboo scoop, which is another tool that I really like to use. That's a traditional uh, chashaku, it's called in Japanese, and it's this little curved, almost looks like a little hockey stick uh, tool, it's made of bamboo and you just take a scoop, if you just take a heaping scoop of that, it turns out to be about one gram, which is a the, the serving size that you want, and uh, and you put it into the into the sieve over the creamer, and uh, you just sort of shake the sieve so the matcha goes through the small holes of the of the sieve, and you can gently push the matcha through with this little this little uh, this little tool. Um, so it, it's nice to have, and, and I, I usually just put three tools: the the sieve, the little bamboo scoop, the chashaku, and the the electric um, milk frother. Into a into like a tall cup, and I just leave it on the counter. Um, so anytime I want a cup of matcha, I know that the three tools that I need are right there, and it, it makes the whole thing um, very easy, and it, it looks great just sitting on the counter in a in a pretty tall cup.
0: Is the matcha further? the same milk further or is it yeah, yeah. designed same. for match same one yeah it's the same one same one I'm, I'm trying to think about designing one
1: and having it made but it's you know it's a big process you got to find engineers and everything's done in china and you have very little control <laughs> over it and you know problems essentially um uh, but it'd be cool to design a little device that that made perfect matcha every time I, it's it's a project i'd like to work on
0: about your store when was it
1: started uh, we went online in the spring of 2011. Oh, and how have how has it done until now? Oh, it's done really well. We've been growing. Um, we've been growing like crazy. We're, we've been averaging about 350 um, percent revenue increases per year. So I'm very happy with those numbers.
0: Oh, well, congratulations! Thank you. When you started, did you did you think there, there was gonna be a high demand or was it more like I I
1: knew that chefs like it Um, and and so I I knew that there's going to be some demand among chefs and also uh, uh, it's interesting but but wine drinkers it turns out really really love love matcha um, because it gives them kind of the same feeling that they get from drinking wine you know like there's this wonderful epicurean product uh, you have it in a glass you swirl it It has a long finish, you know It has all these complex layers of taste and, and uh, it really is very similar in many ways to, to drinking wine yeah. Except it doesn't make you drunk. It makes you more awake. So it's <laughs> it's a very <laughs> nice drink uh, during the day for for serious wine drinkers They they like to drink matcha during the day and they drink their wine at night, you know So I, there was a market there for wine drinkers and, and it, it's interesting I, I didn't really know any of this until I started selling it, but I um, it turns out also that the the yoga community, uh, a lot of people who practice yoga, um, really like matcha. It's if you have a cup of matcha before you, you do a yoga session, it's it's really delightful. It, it gives you this really kind of clean energy that that you know gets you through the yoga session. You're you're very calm. Um, you know they really like it. Um, and then another group is is people who want to stop drinking coffee. There, that's a that's a very large group. People who, for whom caffeine you know, affects them in a negative way. Uh, so the, the people trying to get off coffee is a is a big market for matcha drinkers. Um, uh, another one is the, the the martial arts community. You know, people who practice like karate, uh, you know, jujitsu, judo, you know, taekwondo, um, you know, any of the Chinese martial arts. They really like matcha as well because it, it gives you this nice little kind of again like this calm calm energy. And then another, uh, the group that surprised me the most was, um, software people, software developers, <laughs> software. software engineers who uh, they love how it, it makes them feel like the, it, matcha gives you this wonderful concentrative property. Um, if you drink a cup of matcha, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very easy to concentrate. So if you need to do some, some software coding, you know, if you're writing software, you want this this you know this hour or two hours of just sort of pure concentration. It's very it's very mental. It's very cognitive, and matcha is really good for that. Um, it doesn't make your mind wander all over the place. It it really gives you this kind of beautiful focus. So, um, you know, I, I was surprised by how many software people started ordering matcha.
0: So, so it looks like th- there's, there's a lot of future for, for matcha, at, at least in the U.S. I think so.
1: I mean, the, the growth rates are phenomenal. Uh, there's there's a, a huge interest in green tea as a, as, as a health drink, essentially. I mean, I even get uh, clients, customers who are referred by, by doctors who are encouraging their patients to drink. As much green tea as possible, and and you know matcha is good for that because because the uh, the phytonutrients and the antioxidants in matcha are roughly you know depending how you measure it but it a minimum of ten times more than than a, cu- a regular cup of brewed green tea for the very simple reason that you're actually ingesting the leaves in matcha right I mean ma- matcha is unusual in the tea world most teas you know black teas uh, other green teas oolong teas are, are uh, they're either in whole leaf form uh, that you use and you, you brew a pot of tea and you strain it out, or in a tea bag form, right? You put a tea bag in a cup, you pour hot water over it, you wait, and uh, you throw away the tea bag and you drink the tea. Well, in matcha, there's no throwing away anything. You're actually consuming the leaves, and they're so finely ground that uh, when you add hot water to them and you you whisk them up like we've been describing, um, the, the the tea leaves actually become suspended in water so that it's kind of a drinkable form it it tastes a little thick a lot like an espresso it, it it really tastes a lot like espresso as far as texture in the mouth the mouth feel but uh yeah but because you, you because you're ingesting the leaves themselves m- many if not most of the best of the health properties of green tea are actually found in the leaves not in the extract of the leaves right i mean what is what is it what is a cup of tea really it's it's an extract you 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 pour hot water into into some leaves you wait the water extracts as many you know phytonutrients and minerals as possible and then and, and uh, only the soluble ones yeah the soluble ones exactly it, that that's it i mean it, they're the soluble ones but but it turns out that many of the health, of the of the great health properties of, of tea and green tea in particular are a combination of the soluble fibers and the insoluble fibers. And the only way to get insoluble fibers is to to actually eat them. So um, in a way, when you drink matcha, you're kind of eating tea as much as you're drinking tea.
0: Yeah, I think matcha is probably the most nutritious tea there is. I think so. I mean, ma- yeah, I mean, mainly for that for that reason,
1: because you're actually ingesting the leaves, but also because of the care that's, that's taken in, in matcha. I mean, we should also talk about how it's grown a little bit, like um, one of the unique characteristics of matcha, and, and the reason that it's so bright green, the reason the color is so crazy looking, so fake looking, is that in the last uh, somewhere between four and six weeks of the tea's life, before it gets, uh, before the new leaves get harvested, um, it's grown in, in in an environment that is progressively shaded. It's grown progressively in darkness. And originally, how they did that was, um, you know, before everything got really sort of high tech, um, the tea would be growing in fields outside, of course, and and the Japanese farmers would would put up some bamboo poles around the the border of the of the tea field, and then they would they would take string, you know, just like simple string, and they would they would put string. Uh, on the top of the bamboo poles over the tea fields they would just run run long lines of string across and then and they would create a kind of net in a sense they would create this netting and then they would throw um, straw just old straw that they weren't using from their from their rice harvest over this netting and it had the effect of kind of providing a, a, a shade really of it's a kind of way of shading the tea and then every day they would throw on a little bit more and it would get more and more shade until you know, right before it was time to harvest, it was grown almost totally in darkness because it was, they would cover up the whole, the whole canopy. Nowadays, it's a little more high tech. They have this black netting that they just, um, they just erect and they, uh, and, uh, but, but, but when you grow tea in shade like this, what happens is plant isn't getting, uh, it's any more solar energy and it, it, it's striving to stay alive, even though, its light source has been taken away, right? So, but it still doesn't want to die. I mean, no plant wants to die. All plants strive <laughs> to stay alive. Um, so, by this striving to stay alive, the plant releases a lot of really interesting chemicals on a molecular level. And a lot of these chemicals are are um, in, the, in the molecular structure. They are they're really amino acids. They're these building blocks. And and that is what is responsible for the big umami taste of the matcha because the amino acids are developing at a very unusual rate and normally these amino acids are they're they're in the tea they they're they're extant in the tea they they're inherent in the tea but they become converted they get converted into into other um into other molecular structures like catechins and tannins and so that's why um regular green tea um uh, loose leaf green tea um often tastes a little bit little bit on the bitter side. There's, there's a lot of catechins. There's a lot of astringency, but with matcha, with great matcha, if it's, if it's done right, um, you really don't get any of that. It doesn't, doesn't taste tannic. It doesn't taste, uh, astringent. It just tastes like umami. It tastes really almost sweet. And so that's, um, that itself has a lot of interesting health properties. There's one amino acid in particular, it's called L-theanine, Um, And L-theanine is an uh, extremely interesting um, substance Um, It's been identified with uh, with creating beta waves in the brain It's it it tends to give you this very very calm feeling and some people have tried to synthesize L-theanine and sell it in pill form And I know a lot of people in in the health community who who actually do take a a supplement of L-theanine Because it makes them feel really calm and really really good but you know in my opinion you know, why not just drink the matcha, just do it naturally. There's no need to extract the altinine, but, but, you know, artisan grade matcha is full of altinine, um, because of the shading process, because the L-theanine doesn't get converted into, into catechins and tannins. So, um, you know, you can get really technical with a lot of this stuff and, you know, a lot of it's hard to remember and it's a big, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things to, to study here, but, um, basically you can just you can think of it as uh, you know matcha that's been grown in shade and done right is probably one of the most nutritious substances on earth I mean uh, it has more antioxidants by weight than all of the superfoods combined there's a way to measure antioxidants in in foods it's called an ORAC scale Uh, and uh, all of those foods have somewhere between 50 and 150 um, ORAC units ORAC stands for oxygen reabsorption capacity Um, it, matcha has more than all of those combined um one serving of matcha has about 1400 orec units so um you know when you drink it you have a cup you just feel amazing you feel really kind of almost elated you know um so it's 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 a really really interesting drink and uh um i'm trying to get more people to uh, to know about it
0: i, I love matcha too <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> and it's such an old drink. I mean, that's what's so, what's so great. It's like, you know, we're not really discovering anything new here. It's not like some new concoction that we're making in some lab somewhere. You know, this is an extremely old beverage. I mean, they've been doing it for almost, almost a millennium. They doing it for almost 900 years. Um, and it's just a matter of, I think, taking it out of its sort of ceremonial context. And, uh, uh in Japan and, uh, and telling the world about it. Um, it's it's
0: an exciting journey. Well, okay, Eric. Um, I guess we, we ran out of time <laughs> Yeah,
1: we had covered a lot of stuff. Thank you very much but, for, for inviting me. Thanks for
0: for being here. Um, it was very nice talking to you. and um, I, I hope my readers also get to try your, your matcha. Yeah, I hope so too. We'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Ricardo. Okay, Have Eric. A good day. Goodbye. Bye-bye. That's it for today's episode. Um, if you liked it, don't forget to share it. As always, if you're hearing it through iTunes, uh, you can get access to the links mentioned by going to www.myjapanesgreentea.com slash episode 9. Thanks for listening to My Japanese Green Tea Podcast at www.myjapanesegreentea.com.